This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week we delve back into the archives of the Scottish Football Museum to bring you an interview that our curator Richard McBrearty did with Montrose FC's former long-standing chairman and later president, Willie Johnston. Known by many during his time as Mr Montrose, Willie was born in Orange Lane in the town in 1912 and was a newsagent as well as being the chairman of Montrose FC and the local provost too. He posthumously received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the club in 2014. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia for you. What was the name of the band that Craig Brown was in while he played for Dundee? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Um, in what capacity have you served the club and over how many years? Actually, my, my connection with Matrose Football Club goes back a long time. Like most wee laddies, I, support, I supported Matrose a wee boy. And of course, naturally, I grew up, people grew up sort of style. And I always supported Montrose. And just prior to the, 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 uh, prior to the outbreak of war at a particular time, I became actually involved with the supporters club in Montrose. But I wasn't long concerned with that when war broke out. Of course, everything stood still. I mean, the leagues were suspended. Players in the books of clubs, they found themselves in a wartime position with clubs where they were living in. So that was my connection with the club there. And of course the war stopped, and um, there was a resuscitation, a notes in the local papers, a resuscitation of the Matrose FC Supporters Club. And I went along to that, and I was immediately made chairman of the Supporters Club, and by virtue of the fact of being chairman of that, then my connection really with the senior club started in 1946. So my theme, my theme was, I'm a natural organiser and a fundraiser. And I organised the, the, the activities at Links Park in the summertime. At any time, a variety of money-raising efforts I made. So my thing was raising money to keep the club going because it was that particular time. And at that particular time, of course, we the uh, Montrose, the area that we are in, we had to have imports in the club there as players because we didn't have the local supply of players here. So anyway, that, that became, so I became, that was 1946. I'd actually become a councillor in 1945 as a town councillor, and they sort of run together because I feel local authority councillors and football directorate in the eyes of the public, they don't, they're not expected to know very much that sort of style. But that's a thing that you expect in football, public life as well. So I went on there and I kept going, going, going. In 1955, uh, I became chairman of Montrose Football Club. And at that time, I set out to establish a good relationship because in the areas of Aberdeen, Dundee and Fife, I discovered a prolific nursery of junior players who we had, in this, with the scouting system that we had in these areas, we recruited lots and lots of young junior players into our books on the understanding with them. Should a club come along, and they could get, they could advance the children's profession. We wouldn't reasonably stand in their way. So we had that understanding. 
So we did that, and in 1950, uh, 1955, then I became chairman. So the, at the, that particular time, the club was the, the administration of the club was by a board of directors. Seven directors formed the the, the directorate there. Seven seven shareholders formed the directorate. So we actually were running the club ourselves, choosing the team. We had in the books like a groundsman and a trainer and stuff like that. So and my my attitude was that it's about time that we moved forward into the area of having a club manager. And uh, the manager would be responsible for the training facilities, for the choosing of the team and all that sort of thing. We as a club then were responsible for the financing of the club to make sure there was money to put in the players' pay packets. So my first, my first manager became George Hill. George Hill was a recognised uh, Dundee, Dundee football player outside left and a small lad and I'd followed the fortunes of the different clubs and was always impressed. So any George Hill became my first manager. And he gave us two years. He was a news agent like me and it was difficult giving up time. But George Hill was a very, very keen lad. But he left and didn't, wasn't sucked. He just left because of a business commitment. So the next guy that I got was, a, a, we signed a player called Norman Christie. Who had been in the, he was a physiotherapist at Sakatha Hospital and he'd been in the books of Stirling Albion and Brecon City. So we, we signed him as a player, George Hill left. Then we had Norman Christie, and he, he actually was able to you know, encourage the players. And uh, his, the, um, his, the team were, were actually were chasing promotion. He was with us for 10 seasons, but his early days were actually chasing for promotion because at that time you had first division and second division. That was, you had that before the war, but we're now living in days when, there is, when the, the, the leagues resumed. You did away with the first and second division and they had clubs like Sea League and stuff like that, different one playing the reserves. But Norman Christie was a success, he was there for 10 seasons. And he left in his own account because he felt he had taken us as far as he possibly could. So then we appointed a player called Bill Rovey, who was in the books as, chair, as, as manager. But Bill, he was a great player, but he wasn't manager material, like lots of laddies and like that, that not really managing material. So in the 70s then, when Norm was with us, that was, let me see, the 60s, into the 70s. In the, seven, in the 70s, there came a resurgence of interest in those, because I got a manager called Alex Stewart, who had been uh, in the books of Dundee Football Club for 10 seasons, Aberdeen lad, Aberdeen born. And I was very, very, I actually built up a good relationship with the junior clubs in all those areas and a good relationship with senior clubs as well. Getting to know the freeze that would be going in the season because due to picking up scissors how we did in that way. So anyway, the Alex Stewart had moved over from Dens to Tannadice. And I got in touch with Jerry, uh, Jerry Kerr, who was the manager. And uh, Bill O'Grady had just left and I said, the, uh, Jerry, I said, anything in your books that's not a Nothing you'd put a future with you. What you're looking for? And I said, well, player or a player manager? And he says, how about Alex Stewart? Well, to cut a long story short, Alex Stewart came over to us and he'd got the offer of a job in South Africa with Hammy of Dundee's, the Hamilton was the Dundee, but uh, he didn't go there. He got jobs and after coaching in Switzerland, but his wife was a sort of a thing bad, didn't move. To cut a long story short, 
we got Alex Stewart to be ground manager, and we then were the, were the, were the big noises in the 70s. Alex Stewart, he could manipulate what he did, he bought players that were kind of past that we bet to build up and make time, and then he introduced, of course, the young players. And we actually, there in the 70s, we were the greatest, great successes. Would even you, Would yeah. you consider that to be the golden era of, of yes. the club, the 70s? This, this, was, this was our year, and we, were, we became, you know, recognised playing Rangers at Handon Park in the semi-final of the League Cup, leading one nothing at half-time. The John Gregor and stuff like that, we went down 5-1, but we had a tremendous. Then Alex Stewart left us there, he went and he joined Air United. So anyway, this was, a, I'm coming, taking you down through the years with managers, and then we had we had uh, two managers, and then the, the, we actually became league champions, it's all in there. And we, we got an, a manager who was on our books as a player. His name was um, Ian Stewart. Alec was a Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. But, um, but then Stewart was, um, it was uh, uh, Stewart, Ian Stewart, which is S-T-U-W. Well, he came along, and actually it was under his, his leadership, we actually won this, this, the championship, the fifth, the fifth, and then we became the champs. So that was my, taking me down through the years, that was my, to that, I'm cutting an awful lot out and stuff like that, but, but that was me with Montrose Football. So then I went on to become chairman of Montrose Football 30 years. And I was tireless. If you look out my window, you'll see the lights of Lynx Park there. Mm. So I've actually lived in this particular area since the year 1937. That's when I was married. And I lived around the corner there at 20 Wellington Place, then moved around to 8 Wellington Park. So for the last how many years is that? 60, 62 years, 60. Uh, 62 years I've been able to listen to the roar of the crowd of lights back from my house here. That's a question I actually had for you um, would be what your earliest memories are of matches at Lynx Park can you, can you remember that far back to Oh yes, the, the memories of Lynx Park, well the, let me think now, memories I've got so much in the way of memories my memories like as a wee boy watching the team, the team would win the qualifying cup and then the team, the, 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 actually we had, every club has successes and non-successes. And we had outstanding ones. We, we played actually in 1947-48. We were, we were in Sea League and we played, we, we were, we were um, drawn against Queen of the South, who were first division top, and uh, played them at Lynx Park and we beat them 2-1 at Lynx Park. That was a fantastic memory. And we went on there, and we played Celtic at that particular, that uh, the next round. We came back with a cheque for eleven. It was eleven thousand pounds or something? No, eleven hundred pounds, not eleven thousand. Memories like that, cup ties. And I used to the, the cup ties in the past were specials because at one time it was an all-in draw. They didn't have the separation. The, the, you know, the, they call it the the what they do now. It was. Anyway, they did. They, it was an all-in draw, and when the first round came out, everybody was looking because everybody wanted Rangers at Ibrox or Celtic at Parkhead because there was big money. And that time, and a cup tie, a Scottish cup tie here was a special event. You would have the the pipe band playing in the park. You would have a wee laddies, wee boys, dressed up as ball boys running out and giving the goalkeeper a lucky horseshoe at the entrance to the gate. We had no turnstiles at that time. You went through there. 
at the end of the gig we'd have buskers on the street. There's a guy with a fiddle and a fellow with an accordion and the bonnets at their feet, you know, and then, and then the row of them coming out and stuff like that. So these were memories for me. There's so many of them, particularly a long time did bit. Memories, cup ties and special ties and stuff like that. And signing of players and parting with players. I always felt a bit sad because I was always a players man and I was fond of my players. Naturally, players had to come and players had to go. And they didn't work out free transfers, but with some of them at a particular time. You mentioned sort of different um, sort of memories, obviously, of the club over the years. Um, one question I'd like to ask you as well would be do you remember any real times of crisis at the club? Yes, several. Several. The club has, yes, one or two crises which were overcome. I can remember on one occasion, yes, when you reach this, this is one that you may be interested in, in the rock bottom. Rock bottom. And I was a travelling director at this particular time when we were playing Leith, when Leith was Leith Athletic. And with no money, I thought it would pay the players. So I suggested, well, I was the vice chairman of the club at this time, and I said, if you give permission, I'll ask the players. When we went through with the team, I was in charge of the team, and I said, gentlemen, we've got a situation here which is embarrassing for me, with no money to pay the players. Which could you consider playing a game for nothing? And they did, and I felt about that height. So I set out after that, and said, I'm going to raise money here. And I was fundraising things at Lynch Park, and one was to organise a flag day. Now, any organisation that runs a flag day, called whatever it is, Red Cross, or Lipo, whatever, you've got to get the permission from the authority to do that. So I organised a flag day in Montrose and Ferryden and Ulside, the area there, and I got the labels and the boxes collecting things and all that sort of thing. And as a news agent, I had a, 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 a group about best part of a dozen newspaper delivery boys. So what I did on my own, I got the, all, I organised this flag day, and I gave my paper boys two shillings out of my pocket to go with my tins and collect money to raise funds. And I raised £67 that day. We continued the flag day at the, the next home match, and we raised between the whole lot, we raised about between one and two hundred pounds, and we never looked back. At that particular time, it seemed to stabilise the situation, and I was so proud of that. But I felt a very wee laddie mm. asking players to play for nothing, but the players did it. So it lets you see, players have souls as well. Mm. I mean, there is something underneath the jerseys here, apart from that, and you above there. So I was, that was embarrassing for me. But I did it in the interest of the club. If there's one game that, that stands out for you, which one would that be in the history of the club? Oh, let me see now. You're coming. You're coming close here now. Naturally, the one, the one game, the outstanding game, of course, was the semi-final of the cup tie against Glasgow Rangers at Hampden Park. We've, we've had other ones. I mean, we had we played Clyde in the Scottish Cup this particular day, and it was uh, I was travelling directly that as well the team, and we're losing one nothing to Clyde. And we had a, 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 a centre forward called Brian Third, who came from the Buckley area, which he recognised as the Cairnbulg Cannonball. He scored 29 goals this particular season. So I looked at my watch, and it was time to rise up and go away. And Brian Third picked up a ball, and he thunderbolted this one right in the back of the net. We got a draw, and we took it into Lynx Park, and we, we won the replay at Lynx Park. That was memorable. 
that was memorable. The Queen of the South one, from Queen of the South do one, that was memorable. The memories flood with me, I mean, it would take, I would literally full on up literature, but memories are there, and memories live longer than dreams. Because a dream is past the fancy, but a memory always stays with you. So my memories of Mike Spark at that particular time. Doing 30 years as chairman, I think I must have been, I could be considered one of the longest serving uh, chairman of a senior club in Scotland. So I've been with the club now since 1946, that's 53 years, which again is, and I'm still there. I'm now the honorary president and I've got my lounge going after me and a picture in the lounge. And I attend all the home matches. I've got spoiler I don't walk very distance there's no but I attend all the home matches and that's where I'll be until such time as the good Lord says, Come on in Willie, you've been around long enough, come on, that sort of thing. So that's where I'll but that's me living with the sound of Lips Park for sixty two years. You you you've obviously seen a lot of players in your time coming and going in Montrose, you mentioned that already. Uh-huh. Would there be anyone in particular that might stand out in your mind? Is, is there a favourite player? Uh, yeah, yeah. You say? Ronnie Cross came to Montrose. Uh, I had a, in the shop, my, my, my news agent shop, all football and talk and stuff like that. Monday mornings, a bad game, he would come in and he would tear you apart, sort of style. I never lost my yesterday and if we didn't play well, stuff like that. Anyway, I had a. I dealt with a film in Aberdeen, um, the, what was it, it was a wholesaling film in, in Aberdeen anyway, and a rep called Kenny Hepburn said to me, Willie, are you looking for a, looking for a good footballer? And I says, Kenny, didn't I ask silly questions? Of course, I'm always looking for, who's this? He says, Ronnie Cross, he's playing with Sunny Bank in Aberdeen. And uh, I know him because he was friendly with him, he says, he's, he's He's about, probably about 24, and he had a trial, I think, with Leeds, but he's not that not big fella, but he's a super player. But if you go to sign him, you'll have to take his pal Johnny Carroll, who plays with Sunny Bank with Southern Cahoots. Fair enough, I picked up this, and off I went, with the permission, of course, of the board. And Johnny Carroll, Johnny Cross, were a function in the Douglas Hotel in Aberdeen. And I dug them out and put the things to them. At that time, we paid the, the junior club £100 for a junior. And the laddie, the players themselves, got £20 to sign and £3 a week, plus modest bonuses. So I signed Ronnie Cross. Well, Ronnie Cross, there was a, he was not, not big in stature, but the heart of a lion, the most loyal guy. He comes to visit me yet. He came here in 1959. And actually, he ultimately, in time, left Montrose. And when I got uh, Alex Stewart on his manager, Alec was putting his house in order with scouting and training facilities and stuff like that. And I said to Alan, you need to get a scout. And he said, and I said, Ronnie Cross. Well, Ronnie Cross came back to us as a scout and a coach. And he actually brought players to Montrose from the Aberdeen area. And we sold, Kenny was in the range of 60,000. We sold lots and lots of juniors. And it was due to the it was due to the efforts and the popularity of Ronnie Cross as a scout, and the reason he was successful because I insisted that a we were a player, say your junior club, your your sonny back, and I said that when I bought a player from you, I would give you your money on the spot, be the player on the spot. The Montrose reputation spread. I can remember on one occasion uh, we sold. We sold, uh, this was the, the biggest sale we had, 
I had actually signed, uh, which is named this chapter from uh, George, thank you Bob, my name's. Anyway, we've got a player from Rocky Harp, and uh, he was outstanding, and we transferred him to um, a little over £10,000. And uh, I conducted this thing about like that. And what we did then, when we when we sold a player for that sort of money, we uh, I insisted in the club, the junior club, getting that we give them five percent of this, and we gave them that then. Uh, which is named George, anyway. He'll come to me in a minute. And so anyway, he was due to be transferred by George Farnham, the manager of Raith Rovers, for ten thousand. So I actually arranged. For my, my treasurer has given me a cheque for £500, because that is their money, the money that would do this guy. So I asked one of the officials of Lockheed Harp Junior Club, a fellow called Sid Pacioni, who played for Aberdeen Dundee, to be there to witness the transaction. And I had the cheque ready, and when the transaction was complete, I said to Sid Pacioni, and he says, What's this? I said, Did you £500? Because this is what you're due with, with the agreement. He says, I can't believe this. Club like McClure's being in the spot. He says, there's other clubs that have got players from us. We've got to wait for them. I said, I've got to wait for my money for Raith Rovers. But the, the thinking behind all this was that when I went back to, to Lockheed Hatton over the Clues, look at what they do. And this is the inspiration that we, the, the, this, is, this was the, the, you know, that we built up, this thing about. So that was how I conducted my affairs as chairman, being fair to the players and um, to the clubs and paying them on the spot and it paid dividends and that was oh, obviously you spent I think it was about 30 years as chairman yes in, in, in your own right over that span of years how much has the club changed or did the club change obviously it's considerable not really not really you know the, the, the administration service was more or less the same after we got a manager and the system was we got the manager and uh, the manager have said he did what he did, and we were responsible for raising the monies. Naturally, as, we, as time went by, we had to improve conditions at Lynx Park. Because when I joined the club first, we didn't have turnstiles there. You paid at the gate through going through the gate like that. So in my time, then we installed the uh, turnstiles. We, uh, we, inst we built a, 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 a covered enclosure. It was all open, open spaces there. I've got a picture there to let you see some of the open spaces that were there. And so we actually built covered enclosures, we installed floodlights, and we bought the ground. Lynx Park was owned by the, 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 the Matrose old church here, and they leased it to Lynx Park. So this was now like Stuart's time, this was the guy that brought us all the success at that particular time. So we actually bought Lynx Park for £10,000. We paid the kick session £10,000, it became ours. So these improvements along, as we went along, so as well as running the club, were to make sure that we were up to date with it. And we had to make sure that we were um, responsible for the, the ground safety regulations, that sort of thing. So that's, that's what we did there. And actually the old stand that you, you, you've seen there, it, it, I don't think it would have passed, but you call it SMOT now, that style. It wouldn't pass the authorities. Because, I mean, now with the Hillsborough disaster and Highbrook, you know how every club has got to comply with all the ground safety regulations, that sort of thing. And I actually was a, I was, I was a, 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 a councillor, I was 40 years a councillor here actually, and I was a, a councillor in Daisy Region for, for 16 years and I was convener of police and fire. 
and under my conveniership, I had to deal with ground safety regulations. So we had to comply with all that. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't comply with that, the authorities say, well, the gates are locked. So you must. So these are the things, huh? Um, another question that I'd like to ask you is really to describe a typical match day when you were really involved as chairman at the club. Um, what duties would you perform on a match day? At a match day, well, on a match day here, I always insisted that I was at Lynx Park, kick off at three, I was there at two. I was there at two, overseeing anything concerning with today's match, players and that sort of thing, everything's in order, two rooms and everything's there, referee's room, make sure everything's ready for your referee's room. More or less, all the preparations for the, for the commencement of the match at three o'clock, I was always there at two, and I insisted on that. And we built up a reputation of being excellent hosts. We played a hospitality for visiting clubs, and we were recognised as one of the friendliest clubs in, in, the, in, in, the, in the leagues. And always a reputation for we would look after. Say, for an, if you say, uh, referee supervisors, you find some of them would come along. Well, I insisted at taking them in with me to the director's box. The wives were there, in there with Chris. The wives went as well for a cup of tea and looked after these people like referee supervisors. Because if you allow them in the crowd, they could be victims of geek on comments and stuff like that. You know how it would. That's why I insisted on looking after that. And it always had an excellent relationship with the press. I think it's important for every club to have a good relationship with the press. We need the press, and the press needs us. And the press, I never ever quarreled with a press comment. Some of them maybe didn't like them, but the laddies are there to print what they saw, not what they thought. So it was always one for being behind the press. And I built up a reputation every Sunday night and Sunday, the day after the match, <coughs> as I tell you, I would actually get a, I would actually get a, a phone call from Al, Al Anderson from Dundee, even the different political reporter would phone me up about yesterday's game with him. Anybody, it's uh, any any personality that pick up these things. So I was recognised as a good contact for press relations with the person here, and I'm proud of that. I'm not being arrogant. I'm proud of that because it was my style. Mm. Uh -huh. um, another question I'd like to ask you um, were there sort of many memorable characters associated with the club over the years that stand out supporters or officials or players they, they, you know there are sort of characters on and off the park every, every club has its character yes every club to names we, we lost this past year there was a every club has its character and so I still get making a good man with a voice and stuff like that but we had them here and uh, one character that we, we, we lost, he died, and he was, do you remember just recently, was a chap he called Andy Markey. You know, Andy Markey was a dead, died in the room to the supporter. And he was a comic at times, and he would make comments and this sort of thing, you know, and, and upset people and stuff like that, but he was always there. And he travelled with supporters, about to most of the way matches, and he was, he was just a character. And every club needs its characters. I was recognised as a character. I think I still am. I'm proud of that. But that was one person in particular. But there were, there were so many. Do we many them all? But I would pick up Andy Mark and say he was, he was a good guy, a good supporter. Was there any stories you could give me regarding away matches, travelling any distances that, that well, sort of come to mind? I can remember we were playing right through us at... Uh, at that, once upon a time, we, we travelled by train. We didn't have the transport we've got now. We travelled by train, and this was a, this was one 
and the Jimmy Crook was a set of team himself. So we used to go up, when we got the, the, the hampers, we had two hampers. When we got them off the train, we'd maybe get transported to take them down to Stars Park, which was Stars Park, particular time. So when we came off the train at, at, at Kirkcaldy this day, there was been a wedding or something on, and all the taxi drivers were not available. What the hell are we going to do with these? Uh, they, they, they get these hampers down to Stars Park. So we went down the tune a wee bit, and we saw a van outside the baker's shop. And I went out the van and I said, excuse me, I said, would you have a sort of a problem we've got here? But Sam, I said, I take these hampers from the station that starts back. He did it, we gave him a pound. So that's, that's an incident, things like that. But there are so many of them. But that, well, that one was funny. You know, if you get the, the baker's van to take the hampers to start back and get this match in the go. I, I don't think, I could, couldn't quite sort of see it happening now, you know, with that like kind of thing. That's just, no, no. It's just quite, uh, but then again, I mean, we were, we were stuck, and of course I was, you know, you know a guy could talk and sort of thing. People would respond to me. I had this sort of personality where people liked. Um, how large a role have volunteers such as supporters and officials played in the overall running of the club? Provincial Club even shows. They've all played their part. I mean, when I was chairman there, rather than be a one-man chairman, I, I would depute, you know, a job like uh, you're, you're in charge of the, the bar today. You're in charge of seeing that the, 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 the supporters club chairman, you would be responsible for the manning of the gate. And all that, all that was done without payment. So each one would have a responsibility to be there and that sort of thing. So there was, a, there was so much. The supporters have always played a part. The supporters have always played a part. And I think the, the, the supporters club of today are, uh, well, we've had supporters and actually we've had critics, you know? We've had critics and of course, critics to me are certain people, you need a critic. If without criticism, I don't mind criticism so long as it's reasonably fair. Because without criticism, you get into a routine and nothing's taken for granted. But a good critic will stir you up and get you going, that sort of thing. So I never never objected to criticism. Although sometimes I didn't like it. That, but that sort of thing. The supporters club have always been, and so far as I can see, I'm now the only president of the supporters club. I'm the only president of the football club. President for so much in Montrose, away from football altogether. I'm Mr. Montrose, recognised. They call me Mr. Montrose. Yes. How are you doing? Um, what impact has the club had on the town of Montrose? Town of Montrose, well, every, the, to me, the football club is part and parcel of the community. It's a, it's a focal point in the town to have a football club. And supports have come and supports have gone. The, there's no question about that, that it has an effect in the town. But it's a talking point at the town buildings, it's a talking point in the street corner. It's a place where people meet and that sort of thing. So Montrose without a football club, but the town wouldn't be the same. Have you, have you found that when you went down to sort of the big games you mentioned, playing against Rangers in the semi-final, um, did the town really get behind the team? Was there obviously large numbers travelling to go to these games? Fantastic, fantastic support, yeah. There's always been that time when we were in, when we were in the, the heights in the 70s, we were having messages from Canada, messages, messages from a guy in Russia, different parts of the world, messages came in because people who were domiciled overseas, Montrosians, they, in the, in the area where they're living now, they never lost 
you know, the ones who were the supporters who left and chose to live in other areas, they never lost their interest in the, in the, in the club. So we naturally we had we had lots and lots of messages from people in different parts of the world who were Matrosians, born and bred in Lincoln. We actually in the in the nineteen seventies when we got our next year, that was a great time. And we, we started up a, a young supporters, you know. And they had um, the um, they, they, they had a song there's a thing called the Lynx Park Dynamos. We were at high in the song we are we are the Lynx Park Dynamos. This this came across. It's difficult to hold a young supporters because young laddies need supporters. You could maybe find students or people like that who grew up and become you know had to move on. That sort of thing it happens in other fields as well. But we've a good we've got a good support there. And the lounge is called after me, that's that's very popular. But the, what we've got across there is now we've got a wonderful stadium, Lynx Park. We've got the lounges, we've got the training facilities, we've got the dressing rooms and parking kits and stuff. It's really very, very good. And uh, so that's the uh, situation at Lynx Park. Um, has there been a strong competitive spirit between the Angus clubs? Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, the local derbies were something, especially Brickham Montrose. Bacon and Montrose always seemed to have something in common. And the local derbies were something special. We used to give the players extra bonuses to beat Bacon. More or less, we have actually had one of the four for Bacon and Montrose. But we're close, we're only eight miles of third from Bacon. And there was, a, there was a tremendous oh, there. I can remember in the old days, the old people used to tell us about some of the stories. And at one time, Montrose had a, a very healthy homing pigeon society. You know, homing pigeons. And it was said in the old days, when this was its height, that this guy would take a pigeon to, to, to Leap Park and at half-time fix the half-time score on his leg. And the pigeon would fly home with half-time scores. We used to travel by train to Montrose at that time. You know, the train was back with people. You know, breaking. There's always been a good camaraderie, but a good, good relations. Uh, on the park, we, we don't like each other in the park. But we like each other after 90 minutes. That attitude, and that, that oh, that's good, and I think it always continues that. But naturally, that was a key if you, if you could be big in city and your locals good for support. It would be the same as well if it likes maybe for for it and our, our both move to, uh, to lesser extent. Yes, more less, yes, camaraderie, relationships, excellent, excellent. But I go to Brecon uh, when I'm, I don't get away with the team because I'm not physically able so much now. But I do go to Brecon, I'm welcome to open arms at Brecon City. I'm going very well. And I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. And when I go into some of these, we're suddenly a story, really. And I can fill them in with some of the good stories that I like. I was able to encourage people like that, both made giants, to come to Lynx Park. A children's pet parade in fancy dress. And actually, on one occasion, Douglas Bader, who was the legless air ace. He had a friend that he lived at Mr. Lubbock at the farm, just like Farmer. And I got to know that Douglas Bader was here in this area. So I phoned him up and I said, told him who I was, and I said, Would you be willing to come to Lynx Park and present the prizes I'm running this time? It's a children's pet parade, fancy dress, something like that. Would you like to come and present the prizes to the kids? No problem. Because that, that was Douglas Bader, the air ace. So he came and he said, in no account do you ever make any reference to me. 
and that sort of thing. So simply that. I know that time I actually, Bonnie Babies was one. One I did was a sausage sizzle. You know, if you had heard of the miles of pennies, I organized a, a mile of sausages. And I went to all the butcher's shops and I cut, you know, cut measure a sausage, the build up, and when I saw it being a mile. And I got sausages free from all the butcher shops in Montrose. And I got the Rovers crew of the Boy Scouts, you know, the Rovers. I got them to do what I call a sausage sizzle. And we sold these thingy bobs. Who would ever thought of, a, of, a, of a, a mile of sausages? All fundraising stuff, you know, a fruit carnival I organised. And oh, I did all sorts of things. It's amazing. And uh, as I said, isn't it? I remember as well when I went to the park and um, they showed me photographs of Miss Link's Parks contestants. Yes. Could you explain a wee bit more about that? Yes, well what we did actually, this is another thing that I introduced the the when I became chairman of the supporters club, I thought, you know, for a what I call it um, a peer exercise. Why don't we invite the players and the wives and maybe maybe um, and, and uh, a big noise in some of the better clubs. So the first time we had, we had this get together with the players in the Angus Hall, and I invited the late um, George Anderson, who actually played football for Aberdeen Football Club, and he actually was chairman of, uh, uh, no, he was manager of Dundee, and he wore, always wore a bowler hat. He was recognised as the bowler hatted, uh, you know, uh, uh, manager. He was the one who took Dundee to South Africa. That's the, the two of them. Anyway, we got him as our chief guest, and it was a great night. It was the fee was two and sixpence, and we got a sausage roll and a cake and a cup of tea for a half crown. And I can always remember, with such a success at that time, we were just coming back from the war. We've been given there. We all got the local lads here. We got three pounds from the local authority as a welcome home thing for town. And there's one man came across and says, Willie, I'll tell you this. He says that was for half a crown. He says, I would have given me three pounds welcome home money to have been there. So we've got all the players with the old party pieces. Jimmy Witherspoon sang Melancholy Baby and stuff like that. Memory's good, yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And anyway, George Anderson gave a wee talk. And um, he's, he was a councillor in Aberdeen. I was a councillor in Montrose. And he, says, he gave us five pounds donation towards the funds of Cliver. Great. So anyway, uh, he stood up and he gave a wee talk. And he says, we're both councillors. He says, uh, but I'm the best councillor, but Willie is the best compere. Because I was a compere at that time. So it seems like that to stick out. I could go on and on and on. It's, it's all there. But uh, there we are. And um, When you became chairman of the football club, did you have to, did you relinquish um, your chairmanship for the supporters club? Was it all two separate bodies altogether? Well, I was actually, I was up there, I was a director in my own rights at the time of the, yes, I had more shares. Right. Well, there was, there was an interesting point when we're coming back. Now, at one time there were two provosts of Burris who became chairman of the football club. One was Robert Gourley of Raith Rovers and one was Willie Johnson of Montrose. Now, I became a council in 45, and I became chairman of Montrose Football Club in 55, and I became provost of Montrose in 1956. So the town clerk sent for me, and he says, aye, aye. He says, so you're chairman of a football club? And I says, that's right, Mr. Barman. 
said, well, I'll tell you one thing, you can't do them both. So you'll have to give up this chairmanship of the Bulldog Club. And I says, Mr. Madaman, do you want my chain of office now or tomorrow? Because I'm not giving up the football club. So I continued, and I did the provost of the town for 12 years. So I became the longest serving provost of the borough as well. And you can see on the scroll there when I was made a freeman. I'm the only remaining freeman of the Royal Borough of Montrose. And then I got decorated from the Queen as well, and so on and so on. That was me, so that was, that was, I told the town clerk, and I said, I did them both. So there was the two, I think it was James Goodley, Raythrow was Willie Dodgman, who was the only two brothers who were chairman of a football club. At the start of this episode, we asked you the name of the band that Craig Brown played in while he played with Dundee. The answer is Hammy and the Hamsters. Founded by Alec Hamilton, whom Brown described as being a talented pianist, the band consisted of Hamilton, Brown, Andy Penman, Kenny Cameron, Alex Stewart and Hugh Robertson. In 1964, they released a 7-inch single called My Dream Came True, which sold mainly around the Dundee area and is now a very rare single to find. Unfortunately, the six-piece never topped the charts but music's loss was very much football's gain given some of the players in the band. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBearty. The audio featured in this interview comes from the Scottish Football Museum archive. <laughs>